changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Well, good evening and welcome to this edition of What's the Word? Randy Johnson, Senior Pastor of Columbia Baptist Church, and I'm very thankful as always that you have taken this time to join me for What's the Word? I have recently gotten some good feedback on the show, people that listen, people that subscribe to my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And by the way, you can find Walk This Way in every episode of this show on my podcast, you can find it on Google, Spotify, iTunes, Pocket Cast. Uh, there are about 10 different ways that you can find that and subscribe to it. Or the easiest way is just to go to anchor.fm backslash walk this way on your computer or smartphone. And you'll pull up every single episode right there on the website that hosts my podcast. And so every Thursday morning, this show in its entirety goes on my podcast. So if you miss it or miss part of it, or maybe you would like to go back and listen to past episodes and see what I talked about in the other 39 episodes of this show, then you are more than welcome to subscribe to that podcast, download some kind of an app to find it, go to anchor.fm backslash walk this way and enjoy. But tonight I have so much stuff to get to you so much content to share, it's not even funny. I am always, as I say a lot of times on the show, I'm always looking for new ideas. I'm always looking for content. And what I try to do is I try to find some unique stories that maybe have been on your radar, maybe they haven't, and just share a biblical perspective with you on what does the Bible say about this particular event? How does the Bible teach us as believers to respond in certain ways to certain events? How should we feel? What should we think? How should we respond? What should we say? And I think those are valuable statements to make and valuable questions to answer. And I hope that through the course of this show that I have given you some opportunities to think, opportunities to formulate a biblical perspective, and to see the world through the lens of Scripture. I shared a few weeks ago and, and have tried to do it each week over the last two or three weeks that I started a sermon series on Sunday morning at Columbia Baptist Church where I'm the senior pastor. I started a sermon series entitled Identity, Who Am I in Christ? And there are several chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians, and I started with chapter 3, going through chapter 6 and 7, and looking at who does the Bible say that we are once we become a born-again child of God, once we become a Christian and a follower of Christ, what does the Bible say that our identity should be and ought to be as a faithful follower of Jesus? And this coming Sunday's message deals with the world in which we live, but mostly how we are temporary citizens of this place, and that God has something so much better in store for those that know him and trust in him, and that what we have in this life, uh, the Apostle Paul calls a tent. 
And a tent is a great analogy of something that serves a purpose for a time and for a season, but you know it's temporary. And so God gives us a essentially a tent on this earth and promises us a permanent home in heaven. And it's such a beautiful picture. And the Bible says in that in that text that I'm going to be preaching this Sunday, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that while we're here in this tent, while we're on this earth, that it is our goal to live a life that pleases the Lord. And so I have found quite a few examples of both good and bad, how to make sure in your world and how to make sure with the influence that you have, with the job that you have, the family that you're in, the opportunities that God gives to you, how you can make sure that you are glorifying God. You know, many, many years ago, the television icon, I guess you could call it, or, you know, it, it used to be that when you said MTV, you thought music. Now, I, I don't even know, I haven't watched MTV in years, but I think many years ago, they started putting television shows, reality shows, and this type of thing on there, and now I think that's all that they do. I don't think they are music television anymore. Uh, they may call themselves M MTV. I really don't know, but back in the early 90s, and mid-90s, they had a string of shows called Real World, and then they had one called Road, Road Rules, and it was just a reality show of, of four, five, six, seven, eight people that either lived in the same house or they traveled together, and they just basically put, you know, 20 cameras in their face all the time and, and found out in reality how they responded to each other. Well, many years ago, on road rules, two people that were on that show ended up falling in love, and they ended up getting married and have been married ever since then, so probably a good 20 years they have been married. Well, the guy, his name is Sean Duffy, and Sean, several years ago, I think seven or eight years ago, decided to run for, uh, to be a representative of the state of Wisconsin, where he's from. And his wife, Rachel, who, as I said, was also on that show, uh, has been very supportive of his career. She's had a, a decent career in television and, you know, hosting shows and being on kind of morning shows, afternoon talk shows, those kinds of things. But they have, you know, maintained a great, a great healthy marriage. And, you know, and he's uh, been a great senator and has spoken out on quite a few uh, good issues, and anyway, so he's been a representative of Wisconsin now for the past uh, eight, nine years or so. I read a story the other day saying that Sean Duffy, representative of Wisconsin, and his wife along his side, by his side, decided to resign from Congress. And his resignation, uh, actually it happened yesterday, Tuesday, he explained why. He would be resigning effective September the 23rd. So in, in less than a month, this guy is going to resign from Congress. And he went on television to explain his reason why. And I, and I have to say that when I read the story, uh, it made me smile. Not because a good conservative representative is leaving Congress. And it wasn't any reason of disagreeing with 
any policies or the president or any political pressure. He said that his unborn daughter, who his wife Rachel is, is now pregnant with, didn't say how far along she is, but they found out that his unborn daughter has a heart condition, and he said that it's going to require full attention and said that he didn't feel that he could focus on her and his family along with his congressional responsibilities at this time. He went on to say, quote, I've had a great eight and a half year run. I love my job. He said, but though I love politics, I also love my family. And he said that it was an honor to serve his home state of Wisconsin. And he said that, you know, he said, quote, the time has come for me to focus more on the reason we fight these battles in Congress. He said, my family. They found out not that long ago that their unborn daughter has holes in her heart and that they are, they are going to make sure that when she enters into the world that she has all of the care that she needs. She's going to need open heart surgery when she's born. Uh, I believe that uh, his wife Rachel is about four months along or so, and he just said that he was leaving Congress in order to be able to be at his wife's side, make sure that everything is taken care of, and really focus on his family. I read this story and I thought, this is the kind of example that though his conservative presence in Congress is going to be missed, this kind of platform of saying that he is putting his family first and has the opportunity to do so. Now, I do have to say before I go on, there are plenty of people that have family issues that are not able to leave their job, and they have to stay. And so I don't want to make this guy out to be a hero because he's financially able to walk away from his job. But it's the, it, it's the very idea that even though this is his decision to walk away from the job so that he can focus on his family, even if you have to keep your job knowing that your family is going to need your, your attention, your support, it's the statement that he's making that his family is the most important thing to him. And I know that he has a strong faith. I know that this guy is a good conservative. And I know that what he is doing is not, he's not doing this to get any pats on the back. He's doing it to explain that it's not a political reason, that there's no pressure, but rather it's because he loves his family. And he feels like for the state of Wisconsin, that he would be doing them a disservice if he stayed in office, which I appreciate that. But I also feel like he's making a statement to say that the needs of his family are important. And because of the pressing needs and issues that are coming in the next few months when his daughter is born, that his wife is going to need help because they have other children. Uh, his daughter's going to need help. He wants to be available to go to doctor visits. And I just applaud the idea that someone says my family is more important than anything else and that they deserve my attention. You know, even as a pastor, the Bible reminds me in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that if my family life is not in order and if I am not managing my household well, then the Bible says how can you be, a, in a sense, a manager of the house of God? How can you care for 
people in God's family spiritually if those in your own family are not cared for? How can you maintain the the organizational structure and the spiritual life and vitality and all of that in a church if your own house is falling apart and i and i see this lived out in a man like Sean Duffy who is essentially saying i cannot in good conscience and in good faith i cannot continue to manage the issues and the affairs that are going to come up in the state of Wisconsin and do an even better job maintaining the issues of my family. And so because he felt like he was forced to choose, he chose his family over his job. And I just uh, admired that. And, and so what stuck out to me, and the reason I wanted to share this with you, is not just to tell you the information of this story, but to say that honestly what more families need, what more children need to see, what more communities need are parents and husbands and wives that care more about the structure, the health, the spiritual life of their family than they do material things, than they do that their own personal success, that they are more passionate about uh, those opportunities to build up their children rather than to build up their resume. I mean, it would be well worth the investment to say that for this moment in time, it's not my time to climb the ladder because I need to make sure that my children uh, are, are cared for and loved. That at this time, I can't focus more on my career than I do on my family. I've got to shift my focus and I've got to make sure that my family is cared for. And I think that's a call for all of us, whether you're a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a grandmother, grandfather, uh, aunt and uncle, regardless of what your role is in your own family, it's a good call for all of us to check our involvement in our family and the amount of investment that we make in our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, and in our extended family more so than what we put into our career. There are way too many people that make money, but they don't make a life. You know, they earn an income, but they don't ever really live and they don't ever really make a difference in other people's lives, particularly their, their family because their focus is something else. And so I just, I, when I read the story, I thought that has to be shared on the radio as a call to every person in our community to say, what really is the most important in your life? Outside of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who is or what is the most important thing that wakes you up, that drives you, that gives you passion? And my call to every person in the sound of my voice is, outside of your relationship with God, your family ought to be the most important people in your life. And the focus of why you do what you do should be to help them and to care for them. So to switch gears a little bit, you know, just thinking about the area of the country, uh, Milwaukee and, and Wisconsin, you know, where uh, Sean Duffy has been representing, you know, that's a, that's a rough part of the world that I don't know that I would want to live in. And some people are unhappy with where they live. 
and would like to be someplace else, would love to live someplace else. But I saw an article the other day that said that Vermont, and who lives in Vermont, by the way, like seven people, but Vermont will pay you $10,000 to move there. And that's only strings attached. All you have to do is move to Vermont and they will reimburse residents that are brand new to their state 5000 per year for two years for moving costs and anything associated with, with working, whether it's computers, internet access, membership, and a co-working space or whatever. But it's a grant program that has been that has been set aside for people moving into Vermont and the state will pay you to move into their particular their, you know their state. I, I don't understand why somebody would need to entice someone else just merely with some kind of grant money to get them to move there. If Vermont is that great, then I'm sure people would already be interested in moving there. Uh, if there was another job offer or some kind of competitive business getting people to move to Vermont. But, you know, once that $10,000 runs out and once the, you know, dues and setup fees and moving expenses are paid for, then you have the realization that I actually now live in Vermont. And, you know, they would have to pay me 10000 a year extra just to say that I live in Vermont, you know, because once that initial $10,000 spread out over two years is done, then you have, like I said, then you have to own the fact that now you live in Vermont uh, along with the other seven people that live there. Um, you know, my thinking is, and, I, and I've lived this way, my family and I have lived this way, we used to have a plaque that we hung up in our house, and even though, you know, for colors, uh, it doesn't really match what, you know, what we have in our home anymore, but the statement is still true, and we used to hang up in any apartment, any house that we lived in, home is where the heart is. And we have always looked at communities or places we've lived or, you know, cities, whatever areas that we've been in as a desirable place to live, not just because we live there, but because it was a place that we called home. And we always wanted to give our kids the impression and give our family the impression and live with the mindset that we were actually happy to be where we were, that we didn't need to be enticed to live someplace else just simply on, you know, on money or on, uh, you know, better opportunity here, there or whatever, you know, because thinking of raising children, you can move to certain cities that have fantastic schools but your job may be horrible. Uh, you can go to a certain area that it may be a very beautiful part of the country, like Vermont, for example, but the rest of the living conditions there may be awful. There may be a week, you know, seven total days out of the year that this particular place you live is just beautiful. It's wonderful. It's picturesque. It's, it's ideal. But then the rest of the year, you have to deal with the fact that you live in that place. You know, and I think about people that live in Florida. There are a lot of people that don't live in Florida that love to go there on vacation. They love to go to the beach. They love to be there, you know, for a week, two weeks, or maybe go to Disney World or, you know, go to a beach maybe on spring break or fall break or, you know, something like that. They, they love to go there. 
However, in Florida, you have to deal with hurricanes. You have to deal with extremely hot and humid weather. You have to deal with a lot of rain. You have to deal with some ecological things and creatures that live in Florida that may not live where you live. And so, again, the idea of living someplace that you may like to visit is one thing. But or, or, or visiting some place that you say, well, I'd love to live there. Visiting that place is one thing, but actually living someplace like a Vermont or even a Florida or someplace like that where, you know, you visit periodically, but at the end of the day, if you actually live there, you have to deal with the fact that you live there. So my advice to you, and if you live in Adair County and maybe have lived here your whole life, or maybe you're a transplant to Adair County, or wherever it is that you live, if you're listening to the show, either streaming it online live or listening it, listening to it on my podcast after it, it, it airs live, regardless of where you live, make it a place that you love to call home. Make it a place that you are grateful for. Find something to be happy about. Uh, maybe the traffic is bad. Maybe the weather is not great. Maybe you're a long distance away from your extended family. Maybe there's some, you know, some issue there with, you know, with where you live or uh, there's just something about it that you don't like. Instead of focusing on those things, find something that you really enjoy and honestly just make that a, a heartbeat of you and your family. And so when I found that, that article, I thought, yeah, I've got to share that with, with my radio audience because I, I think, again, regardless of where you call home, it needs to be where your heart is. You really need to resonate with that place. And, you know, my family and I, we've lived in some different states. We've lived in, in different communities, even within those states. And, you know, part of the challenge has been for us, because we've moved so many times, as a family, you know, for us, it's always been, well, this is where our family is, so this is where we call home, and we're going to love it and find something to love about where we live. And so that's just my challenge for you, and make sure that you share that with other people. You may have a great attitude about where you live, and there may be some wonderful things that you absolutely love about where you live, but you need to share those things. Put them on Facebook and on Instagram or where, whatever social media platform you use. Tell people that you work with something that you enjoy. You know, I see people all the time uh, on Facebook, uh, especially, they'll put a picture of a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise or some scenery with where they live, and they'll say, look at God's handiwork. Look at this this picture that God made uh, on my way to work or in my morning walk or just, you know, looking out my kitchen window or whatever it might be. And that's just a simple way to not only tell people that God makes things beautiful no matter what your zip code is, but it also draws people's attention to the wonderful things about life so that they don't focus on everything that is bad. So I just thought that was a great reminder for us all. You know, the last uh, probably week or so, there has been a lot of talk, and I would say too much talk, on social media, especially in the news and uh, news outlets, just way too much attention paid to this whole chicken sandwich thing. Uh, Popeye's apparently came out with a classic or, or spicy chicken sandwich that's supposedly new, and they're trying to rival against Chick-fil-A. 
And, of course, everybody wants to try it. You know, chicken's supposed to be healthy for you, healthy-ish. But if you deep fry it, you know, or, or batter it up and slather it with some kind of a sauce, it's not going to be healthy for you. But that doesn't stop people in America from eating chicken sandwiches. But the last week or two, it seems like it's all people can talk about is Popeye's chicken sandwich, uh, Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich, which one is better, which one is amazing. And, you know, you have Kentucky Fried Chicken, and, you know, they've kind of been silent, whatever. But those two food chains, and but I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's mainly Popeye's because they're, they're coming out with this new sandwich, and they just want people to know that they're here and they want people to just, you know, have their mouths water over their chicken sandwich. Well, more than once, probably more times than anybody could count, certain restaurants ran out of chicken sandwiches. And apparently Popeye's Chicken, as a company, ran out of chicken sandwiches. Now, if you're going to do your advertising, if you're going to analyze the market, and if you're going to saturate the market through social media, advertising, news outlets, commercials, and this type of thing with some new product that you have, the worst thing in the world you can do is sell out of a new product that you're begging people to try. Even if, now this is my opinion, but even if people only have it once, in comparison to a favorite chicken sandwich that they have from another place, if you run out of your chicken sandwich, what it says is you failed to strike while the iron was hot. And maybe, just maybe, that person who was going to try it and do some kind of a comparison between their favorite and yours, maybe you missed that opportunity to hook them and to keep them as a customer coming back for the chicken sandwich. They are telling people everywhere, on Twitter, in news media, uh, articles, online, they're telling people everywhere, you love the sandwich so much that unfortunately we, we sold out for now, but we are coming back and better than ever. I guess you can spin the story and say, that the chicken sandwich was just that amazing. People were that curious. There was so much talk that Popeyes just couldn't keep up. But you know that once you, but another way to look at it is once you start a promotion, you have to anticipate a certain level of curiosity. And you have to assume that there's going to be people who consume chicken sandwiches on a regular basis. And if you do any kind of market analysis, then you know how many chicken sandwiches are sold per day by people like Chick-fil-A, people like, um, you know, uh, uh, Popeye's or, or, or uh, KFC, you know, and, and you can do some kind of market analysis and find out how many chicken sandwiches are eaten. Well, if you know how many stores you have and if you're pushing for this promotion to be awesome, amazing, and wonderful, and all of this, then you should anticipate that you should have enough sandwiches to make sure that if every person that consumes a chicken sandwich on 
you know, Monday through Friday, uh, they're going to come through our line to try one. We're going to make sure that we have enough. Well, Popeye's didn't do that. I wonder if it's a lack of planning. I wonder if it was a surprise. I wonder if it cost them too much. Or I wonder if they just were overwhelmed with the response to their chicken sandwich that they just never realized that in two weeks they would literally be out of this new product that they're pushing. Now again, to look at it positively, and then I'll tell you what the word is about this and and why this matters to churches and to Christians, but to look at it positively, you know, Popeyes could just sit back, which they're doing through social media and through media outlets. They're saying, oh, this is amazing. This is wonderful. We sold so many that we're just so amazed at how many people love these sandwiches. Think of the amount of money that Popeyes has made in the last two weeks just from selling, outselling, and running out of their chicken sandwich. And I wonder how many of their employees who were just working as fast and furious as they could through those drive through lines and those long waits in the store, I wonder if they reimbursed their employees or gave them some overtime pay or gave them some kind of a bonus for their hard work over these last two weeks. I wonder if Popeye's has a plan that if their chicken sandwich is really that much better than Chick-fil-A or anything that KFC has to offer, I wonder if they really have a plan to say, now once we restock, we are going to add, you know, four workers per, per restaurant to keep up with the demand. And I wonder how long that's going to last. My statement about this is simple. There are lots of times that something new pops up and people gravitate toward it. But whatever it is that is new and hits the media and is looked at and is viewed and is just wonderful and everybody is all about it, is the substance of it going to be enough to keep people coming back or is it literally a flash in the pan? There are a lot of times that churches will try something, do something, or even if a new church begins, and all of a sudden people in a community or you know, uh, people in a certain town or whatever, they just gravitate toward that and they think, this is the best thing that I've ever seen in my life. And I wonder sometimes if, number one, if churches are really prepared to handle the influx of new believers, the influx of curiosity, the influx of families that are looking for something different. But I also wonder, and the deeper question is, is what they're offering really enough to keep people connected? Like, for example, I wonder if the Popeye's chicken sandwich is just that good that they're going to sell $40 million of chicken sandwiches every two weeks, or if it's just that people were curious and wanted to taste it, and then they're going to go back to what they enjoyed before. And so I wonder sometimes if the sense of newness 
in churches and the sense of newness in ministries or the sense of newness in, in, in a, a church plant in an area and people gravitate toward it, the message is very simple of what I'm saying is, and that is the message that is going out from a church, the, the identity that people have with that particular church, it needs to be more than a flash in the pan. It needs to be more than just this is our, this is our story, this is our niche, this is our, our hook that we have to connect people to our church. If, if your hook to connect people to your church is more important than the message that will keep them. And if you put more time and strategy and prayer and, and, and effort and money into developing hooks to get people into your church, then you're going to sell out and people are going to leave. Or they might stay, but what keeps them is that hook and nothing to do with the message. I think every church has a responsibility to, and I use sort of a secular term, though I don't mean it in a secular sense, but every church needs to do, in some sense, a level of advertising, a level of recognition, a level of awareness to the community that they're there, that they're offering ministry, that life change is happening, that God is moving in the church. But once people walk in the doors of the facility, once people begin to interact with the church, there's got to be meat to the message. There's got to be something meaningful that will change their life. There has to be something more than a me-focused, you know, people-focused draw that gets people in the door to really be a church that makes a difference for the kingdom of God. And that's where, you know, this whole movement of the silly, ridiculous uh, Popeye's chicken sandwich and, and Chick-fil-A's sandwich and KFC, whatever they offer, you know, this whole thing to me is just, it's a small picture of too often what happens in churches. And that is we care more about the flash in the pan and making those dollars and getting people in the building and getting people to try our product, knowing that not everybody's going to stay. A few people will like it and come back, but we just try to get that initial hook and we just put so much energy and effort into the hook that we really don't put that much thought into the message. And what keeps people, what gets them grounded, what keeps people growing in their faith in a church it's not the fancy hook. It's not the lights, the sound, the, you know, the songs, the, the you know, all of those things and, and smoke and all of that stuff. It's the content of what grabs their heart that is spirit-filled, that is Christ-exalting, that is saturated in the Word of God, and that advances the kingdom of God. That has to be what we pray about more as a church, what we are focused on and care about more as a church, and that has to be our passion. And so this whole Popeye's thing, it just it makes me laugh. I just, uh, in so many ways, I just think it's silly and ridiculous, but like I said, so much of a picture sometimes of what we do as a church. I read a story the other day that was disheartening. And it was disheartening in a sense because there's really nothing that can be done about it. There was a pre-Columbian culture that happened and was discovered in Lima. 
And this dates back many, many, many years. And what they unearthed in this pre-Columbian culture was a site of, I don't want to call it burial because it really wasn't a burial, but it was really more of, a, of an ethnic site of some kind of worship, foreign god worship, sacrifices, rituals, these types of things. And in all honesty, they sacrificed children at this ritual site. And this particular archaeological site uh, in, in, in Peru, they found 227 bodies that were unearthed that were all children. And they have been digging since last year at this sacrificial site, and they finally were able to draw a number and, 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 and assemble a number of children that had been wrongly sacrificed there. You know, it's stories like these that I bring this to you only and simply because, number one, it is disturbing to imagine that any society would sacrifice children, let alone have 227 bodies in the same burial site to honor what uh, was known as the Chimu, C-H-I-M-U, the Chimu culture's gods. And to sacrifice that many children for whatever remain, for, for whatever reason, um, you know, it just, it's so disturbing to me. Uh, they said that this happened between the 1200 and 1400s, and they had at first, last year, found 56 different skeletons. And they found 200 llamas that were also there, along with several uh, other children uh, and their remains there. But as they continue to excavate and to unearth this, they found 227 sacrificed children in Peru. And, and, and the picture uh, that they displayed of, of this is just, it's so disturbing. It, you know, they're, it's almost like they are entombed in stone. Uh, they are all, as the article says, they're all facing the sea. So their bodies are positioned to where their faces are pointed toward the, toward the ocean and, you know, it just leaves you speechless because you wonder, okay, what was their culture? What was their religion? What was the purpose? Why did children have to be sacrificed? Why did they find so many llamas that were, uh, that, that were there next to or, or mixed in with the remains? What in the world would some kind of a religion, some kind of a culture, you know, who's being worshipped? What is the point, the purpose but at the end of the day, we don't know. We don't know exactly what it was or what the religion was or what the purpose was for this. But whenever I see a story like this, what it, it just screams to me is how desperately the world needs Jesus. How many people that we come in contact with every day who would say, in all honesty, well, I'm not that bad. 
I wouldn't do that. I've never done that particular sin. I've never gone that far with this thing or taken that step. And they say that as though that makes them a good person or it makes them a better person than this story that I just read of what these other people have done and they're terrible and they've made all these mistakes and you know they sacrificed you. Oh, I would never do that. And we always can find in human history somebody who is worse than we are, somebody who's done something worse than we have, somebody who's sinned more than we have, and we think in some way, well, I'm not that bad. At the end of the day, this story, even if you would say, hey, I'm not that bad, at the end of the day, there are people that have lived at different points in human history who are that bad. And that points to the need for someone to have a right relationship with God and to value human life and to see that other people have and need the opportunity to turn to Christ just as much as you do. And that it is not your right to take the life of another human being to worship your God or to celebrate your religion But what it means is you should have as the focus of your life and and the focus in your heart, you should have a right relationship with God. You should value your own life enough to know that God gave the life of his only son and sacrificed his son on your behalf so that there is nothing else that you have to do except to receive the gift of Jesus Christ and his shed blood and his sacrifice on the cross so you see this article and you you hear the story and you think these people are sacrificing their own children for what for themselves i mean how selfish is that 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 this culture has been known to sacrifice several hundred children at one time in some ritual all for themselves or for maybe to appease their god And what the one true and living God did is he gave his own son to pay for my sin and to appease his own wrath against my sin so that there was nothing that I would have to do except to receive Jesus as my Savior and and make him the Lord of my life. But this story just screams that there are people all throughout human history that need a relationship with God. Sin causes us to do things that are wrong, that are inhumane, that go against the very fabric of life, that scream that there is something wrong between our ears and our head and our heart, that there is something wrong with our nature, that if our human nature screams out that we want to kill someone, even our own child, for the benefit of our religion— And to appease some made-up God, that tells me that the human heart, as the Bible says, is exceedingly wicked. And there are times in the Bible that even God's people is said of them that they did what was right in their own eyes. And any time we do what we think is best, it's never truly the best. Even if our intentions are good, even if we have convinced ourselves that it's good, even if other people tell us it's good, the Bible tells us that stacked up against the righteousness of God, which is perfect, 
that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. They're dirty. They're disgusting. They're, they're miserable in comparison to the infinite holiness of God. So this story just again just reminded me of the great need that people have for Jesus. I saw another story that was really no surprise. This particular story has to do with children, but it has to do with the happiness of children. And I found a story that says, after a good deal of research, that it has been found that social media and body image are making children the most unhappy that they have been in the last 25 years. I am not surprised by this. I think for the most part, people that are saturated with social media, people that are saturated with the opinions of others, and people that do have body image issues, I would say any person that fits into that category is unhappier now than they ever have been in their life because it is constantly thrown in their face. But think about children for a moment. The study says that data reveals that excessive social media use increases their loneliness and turbulent friendships. So you would think that the one thing that is supposed to be designed to connect people to each other, something like social media, where you can share information about your life, you can share details about who you are, what you're doing, where you come from, where you're going. Social media is kind of designed for that stuff. And for years, people have, have used all of those social media platforms to tell you what they had for breakfast, to tell you about some heartbreak they're going through, to tell you about some prayer concern that they have, to share some juicy gossip or some political opinion that they have. And for years, social media has been bombarding us with this kind of information. It is no surprise that children who are literally in the formation stage of who they are, what they care about, where they come from, where they're going in life, how they feel about themselves, are now, because they're bombarded with everybody else's quote-unquote perfect life that they put on social media, that kids realize how little they know each other, and so it makes them have that increasing loneliness, but it also causes them to be bitter towards someone else because they're constantly putting this fantastic life that's all make-believe, usually, on, on social media, and now all of a sudden they resent their friends for it. They were showing that this research said that not only is there a decline in happiness that's now at a record low for 10 to 15-year-olds, but there's huge failings they're showing for the most vulnerable children. It cites increasing issues surrounding boys' appearance, and body image, social media pressures, a school and lack of strong friendships as potential driving factors for plummeting happiness levels. I mean, you can, you can imagine that years ago, this kind of stuff happened on a playground. It happened on a basketball court. It happened in neighborhood streets. 
And to some degree, these kinds of things happened at school with, you know, some bullying or passing notes or, you know, talking about people behind their back, this kind of thing. Well, now it's in the hands of every teenager. It's, in ev it's on every computer. It is easily accessed. You can communicate a negative message about someone within two seconds. And you can share a lie, which is assumed to be true. You can talk about someone. You can block people from seeing things. There's no wonder that boys and girls in that age range not only have a negative view of themselves, but how they resent and have negative views of each other. I mean, the study, it was just, it's amazing because the children are also worried about their future, not having enough money to feel safe. They tell us that they feel sidelined and ignored by people that are in power. And the study showed that young people are becoming progressively unhappy with their friendships as well as their appearance in school. And social media is linked as a factor in all of those things. You know, when I read the story and, and just my two cents about all of this is just simply to say, not only do I, do I believe that children that young should have a limited role with and limited exposure to social media, but it always goes back to it is the parent's responsibility to build a system of support and encouragement and, as best they can, a system of love and acceptance with their child that even when people at school, even with people in the neighborhood and friends and all of this, say ugly things, turn their backs on them, are not the kind of friend that they need, that our children have the kind of support in the home where they always feel like they have a safety net. They always feel like they are encouraged, they are loved, they're valued, and they can always come back to that center point of their life and really be rooted and grounded in that. And of course, that identity of the family, that identity of love and grace and mercy and support, all of that comes and flows from our relationship with God. Because just thinking as a Christian, so many times you may have a friend or you may have a spiritual issue uh, that, that makes you, you know, feel vulnerable. You may have a friend that, that ignores you or they turn their back on you or they say something about you. And as a Christian, and especially as an adult, you might think, well, what in the world am I going to do when I feel broken, when I feel like people have walked out, when I feel like people are talking about me behind my back? We come back to God. And God is the one who builds us up. Our relationship with Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit gives us comfort, gives us hope, gives us meaning, gives us purpose. Well, for a 10-year-old child who is bombarded with social media and made to feel dumb, made to feel ugly, made to feel fat, made to feel weird, made to feel like they are a nobody. In the home, we've got to bring our kids back to their identity that they can have and should have in Jesus. And we have to remind children constantly that God 
does not determine our relationship with him based on how we look, what our grades are, how we dress, or you know what, our, what the scale says and how much we weigh. Those things are completely secondary to God. What God is most concerned with is our spiritual connection with him. And from that identity flows a confidence that even if every other person on the planet thinks that we are absolute garbage, not worth being a friend with, that we are an absolute terrible person and just ignores us to no end, God constantly reminds us of what our value is to him. And so when you think of 10 and 15-year-olds being saturated with social media and having such a negative self-image, what I would tell parents is they need to be saturated with the Word of God. They need to be saturated with, with the, the gospel of Christ. They need to be reminded that their friends don't get to define who they are. Jesus already does that. They don't need to be told by social media or by anyone else that, that they aren't worth anything. Because God tells them that they are worth a lot to him. So much so, again, just as I said it a minute ago, that God sent his only son to die on the cross to pay for their sins and to give them eternal life and a home in heaven. And so to God, even if your friends think that you're trash, even if your friends think that you're weird, even if your friends judge you because of how much you weigh, God tells you that he loves you and that he sent his son to die for you and he gives you his Holy Spirit to constantly mold and shape you into the image of Christ so that you can reflect Jesus, then who cares what those people think? Who cares how many likes you might get on Instagram or Facebook or, or how many streaks you have on Snapchat, whatever that is. My kids do that. Or how many followers you have on some social media platform. None of that stuff matters. But those are the things that are driving the significance that children are feeling and they need to get back to their identity and they need to come to an identity of Christ. One of the things that this study mentioned was especially in 14-year-old girls. Now, it doesn't say exactly why they pinpointed 14-year-old girls, but I can imagine it's because they're going through puberty, their bodies are changing, Maybe their bodies look vastly different than they did when they were 10, 11 years old. And maybe they've put on a little more weight or they have pimples or they've now got braces or whatever it might be. But the study said that around 25% of 14-year-old girls had already harmed themselves. And again, this is fed by not an identity based on Jesus, but an identity based on social media and people that are quote-unquote your friends. People that do not really love you, people that do not really value you, people that will only use you if you do something good for them or offer them something. In all seriousness and in all honesty, Social media can be a, an encouraging thing, but for a lot of our teenagers, what it continues to do is it becomes a comparison thing. 
you're not as good as this person. You're not as smart as this person. You don't look as pretty as this person. You don't dress as well as this person. You don't have your life together as well as this person. And so social media is used and is bombarding our teenagers with the idea that they're just not as good as the person that they might go to school with. And their identity is lost in that. And so 25% of these girls have already harmed themselves, getting dangerously close to the idea of taking their own life because social media has convinced them that their life means nothing. Whereas their relationship with God would always tell them that they are valuable, that they are loved. There's so many more statistics that go along with this study they looked at 12-year-old boys. They're unhappy with their appearance. No kidding, because they're seeing bodybuilders and, and these models on Instagram. You know, girls, you know, feel the same way. Boys think that they're not strong enough and don't have enough muscles. Girls think that they have too much body fat and they're not skinny enough. You know, it just goes back and forth that all of these things are thrown in their face and between their brains on social media. But what's missing is the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring them back, to look them in the eye, to speak to their head, to speak straight to their heart, and to tell them clearly and plainly, God loves you. God made you in his image. God sent his son to pay for the penalty of your sins and by turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus then you can have a home in heaven you can have a personal relationship with God you can have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you and always know that you are enough and that God loves you in spite of what other people might say about you and this study is nothing new it just flew on my radar and disturbed me. It disturbed me to the point that I had to share it and say, if there is some middle schooler, teenager, college student in your life, if there is some seven, eight, nine-year-old that you know in just a few years are going to really be bombarded with some of the social media stuff, go ahead and begin now by investing in that child Tell them, praise them, encourage them, bring them back to what the Bible says about who they are. Constantly share the good news of Jesus with them, that God loves them in spite of what other people say, and reassure that child that they are special in the eyes of God. And even if they don't get all of the best grades in school, even if they don't you know, according to their friends, look the best. Even if, according to their friends, they don't uh, dress a certain way or, or, you know, whatever the measuring rod is, you tell them that God's measuring rod, that the way that God measures us is through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if your child has a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then God loves them, he values them, he sees them through the lens of Jesus Christ. Bring your kids to the cross of Jesus and let them find their identity in him. Don't bring them to social media and tell them good luck. Bring them to the word of God and say, this is what God has offered for you. 
This is the lens of Scripture. This is the identity that God has to offer you. I really appreciate you making time to join me on this radio show this evening, and hopefully you have listened live and have made it all the way through for the entire hour. If there is anything in this show that you missed, you can catch it tomorrow morning when I upload it to my podcast, which is called Walk This Way, and you can find that at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway, and you can hear all of the previous 40 episodes of this radio show, and I would appreciate you listening. Thank you again so much for joining me tonight. I hope that the rest of your week is blessed, and thank you again for joining me tonight right here on 101.9 WAIN. What's the word? Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast and all sorts of uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.